Today on the Adaptation Game, we are going where no cleaning product has gone before. gentlemen welcome back once again to the adaptation game i am your host matthew shot with me as always is my intrepid co-host chris okawa chris lovely to have you here and we are back in the adaptation lounge the nebulous blank void from which all adaptations are created we have a couple of pieces of furniture now but it's still quite empty and quite barren and we are ready to dig into some juicy juicy adaptations but first we have beckoned with us a guest today, the incomparable Ms. Annette Storkman. Annette, please introduce yourself. Hello. I'm Annette Storkman. I'm a visionary. I'm a storyteller. I'm an artist. Yes. And um, I have a husband in the background who's cooking dinner. And you might mm. hear some dishes. But that's no, only going that. to add to the color, the flavor and the tension of what we're going to do mm. today. I love mm. the sound of these dishes. It creates such a beautiful soundscape. This is also going to double as some of that. What, what do they call that? Where, they, where you, you talk Holy? softly into a microphone and get people off? ASMR, yes. <laughs> get people off. <laughs> get some ASMR. What it really tells, tells me, Matt, is that... Uh, you know, we can fly, we can attempt to fly off to far off lands, be it the pitch zone, be it the punch up table. But at the end of the day, we're never very far from home, you know? No, I mean, I think that the adaptation lounge is less a physical place and more of a mm. state of mind. Mm. It's wherever mm. you want it to be, wherever the the feeling of adaptation grips hold of your very soul, you are then whisked away to the clattering dishes kitchen of the adaptation lounge. I love it. In my head, I'm filling in this backstory that, that Mark is just angry in the background. I'm imagining and he's the just storming <laughs> through the kitchen with plates. I mean, he's straight, he's, he's got headphones on. He's just like in his <laughs> own world right now. It's like uh, the cast of he himself is in, <laughs> he's in the nebulous uh, adaptation zone for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think it will ultimately be revealed at the end of this episode that Mark wasn't even in the kitchen, that he was in a different room this whole time. And you had been invaded by the gorillas from Tarzan and they yes. were performing trash in the uh, camp. trash and trash in the camp. Mm -hmm. by ah, underrated song. Oh, I mean, really the best one in, in that movie, uh, a movie featuring a lot of songs, but not a musical. They make vandalism yeah. really sing in that number. They really yeah. do. Absolutely. Um, and speaking of vandalism and tools with which you would use to eliminate vandalism, wow, what a segue. I want to talk about today's topic of adaptation chosen by Annette Storkman herself. So you have only her to blame for all of the poison that is about to be dribbled into your ear holes. Today, we are talking the Swiffer. Now, to give you a brief introduction into the Swiffer line of cleaning products, just in case you've been living under a rock for the past 23 years. The Swiffer 
was originally introduced by company Procter and Gamble in the year 1997. I I actually learned a lot in doing research for this because I thought that the Swiffer was a singular item. I thought that a Swiffer was the little like long stick with the flat thing on the bottom that you scoot around the room and it sucks up dirt by just like sticking to the bottom. But no, in mm-hmm. fact, there are so many Swiffers. Naive. I mean, just to name a few, we've got the Swiffer Dusters, the Swiffer Dust and Shine, the Swiffer Sweeper, the Swiffer Sweep and Trap, the Swiffer Sweep and Vat, the Swiffer Sweeper Extra Large, the Swiffer Wet Jet. So many different ones and some discontinued ones, including one that I actually do remember having at my home, which was the Swiffer Mitts, which were like <laughs> more novelty than anything else. <laughs> there were Swiffer pads that you'd wear on your hands and you could like scoot your little handsies over some dust and pick it up. Uh, I think you could also wear them on your feet. I feel like there was a commercial where somebody scooted around their kitchen with Swiffer mitts on their feet and like <laughs> they made cleaning the kitchen fun. Um, you know what else so you that's can cool. drag your hands over uh, and, and it collects dust with? Your hands. Did you know that? <laughs> Was that covered? Yeah, or I mean, just like a rag. Yeah, rag. You could just too. Like, yeah, that hold is, something wow, in just, that hand. We're really popping off here. We should have gotten. We should have been at P and G's table in ninety ninety seven. Uh, I mean, hopefully the Swiffer sock will in some way make a return. But I think what we need to do is have a Swiffer onesie. You Ooh. know, just have like a full body the Swiffer whole that body you experience. just you just lay down and scoot across your own uh, floor and and pick up all of the dust and debris and cat litter that's been scattered around your kitchen <laughs> i'm not um, gonna lie i uh i would buy that i would do it you could all it could double as like a snuggie you know if it's like a Absolutely. if it's like a cold winter's night you could throw on your your swiffer body sock and uh just just warm up um so this wasn't even a planned adaptation but there you go procter and gamble there's like a couple <laughs> of money making ideas for you so you're welcome for introducing those now just don't forget yeah. to demand the copyright yeah, I mean, obviously, it should go without saying that everything said uh, in this podcast is uh, beholden entirely mm-hmm. to Chris. What? Um, not actually myself or anyone else, any of our guests. Uh, Chris holds the intellectual property of all of the things said in this podcast. It is sole domain to do with what he pleases. Mm-hmm. So hopefully he will ordain to uh, allow us some of the revenue on that. Um, I would like to have 50%, but unfortunately I had to abandon my 50% because I owe a life debt to Chris, uh, <laughs> after he, he pulled me from a life of crime, uh, and stopped me from, uh, uh, doing a hit that would have made me a made man. It's a whole long story. One day we'll get into Chris and I's origin story. It's really not that interesting. Just sort of <laughs> twists and it's turns. It's surprisingly violent though. Weddings. A lot more violent than you'd think. Mm. Yeah, significantly. Uh, very, very violent. Uh, I have a history of violence. Just call me uh, the guy that's in that movie. Viggo Mortensen. <laughs> How can I forget Viggo Mortensen? <laughs> After all we've been through together. And uh, I think Ed Harris was in it too. All right. So here we go. I want to transition now into talking about our personal histories with the Swiffer products. It's important to know how we connect to this intellectual property so why don't we start with our guest, Annette. Tell us, what inspired you to pick Swiffer? What is your relationship to Procter & Gamble? The Swiffer, Sweep, and Mop combo is um, a lifestyle. 
It's been my lifestyle mm. since the year of our Lord, 2008, when I moved into a dorm room for the first time. Mm-hmm. I'm a woman who is severely allergic to dust and pollen and cat dander. All of it. All of it. And I have to sweep all the time or I will literally die. Mm. The Swiffer sweep and mop saved my life every day. So you uh, owe a life debt to Procter & Gamble, it sounds like. I owe my whole life to Procter & Gamble. I also owe hours of entertainment chasing my cat with the sweeper and annoying Mm. my husband with the mop. Now, do you own a broom or are you just full-on Swiffer at this point? You've abandoned all other cleaning products. We do have the broom for those moments when you just need a broom. Like if you uh, break glass, that's a good Mm -hmm. time to have a broom. And then you go... They never yeah. made the Swiffer pick up the glass. They never made that one. That's another one. <laughs> Not yet. Procter and Gamble. Well with children. Please think about that. Swiffer pick up the glass. <laughs> I think that should be included on my Swiffer body sock is uh, you can slide <laughs> over glass. Sliding over you glass <laughs> your body. <laughs> dive, you don't want to dive headfirst on this glass, kids. Oh, yeah. It's, it, turns, it turns what would normally be like a devastating shattering of a picture frame into a fun game <laughs> where you get to slide around on the floor and see how much glass you can pick up. Great for children. Actually, great oh. for children. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good way to get them invested in cleaning early mm-hmm, on. Mm-hmm. Solely marketed to children, that product. <laughs> you got you to gotta build the habits now or they'll, or they'll never have <laughs> you gotta it. Build yeah, the habits of diving on filth. broken glass. <laughs> the apocalypse 100%. is coming, kids. Get your glass picker upper. The they sea levels are glass. rising. The fires are coming. The dystopia oh. is here. Learn to ride on glass. <laughs> this is our most prophetic episode yet, for sure. Uh-huh. Uh, which uh-huh. is which is great for us. So, um, <laughs> so we now know that Procter and Gamble, and specifically the Swiffer, has saved Annette's life. Uh, Chris, what about you? What is your history with the Swiffer line of products? You know when. Um... When you announced this segment tonight, I was like, oh, shit, I didn't think about anything for this. But then the sole pristine principal memory uh, crested my brow. And I remembered I worked at in college. I worked at Old Navy. And mm. I um, anyone that knows me or is listening to the show can imagine I was not good at working at Old Navy. And or the biggest thing that our success was modeled on was how many people we could get up to sign up for credit cards. And I myself was in college. I didn't have a credit card yet. And this old Navy was 30 minutes from my house, mind you. So my credit card enrollments kept plummeting and plummeting and plummeting. And the old Navy wasn't doing so great. So everyone's hours got cut and some of us no longer would get folding shifts. They fired the janitor. And you would get shifts as the janitor. Now, the only tool that we were allowed to use to clean this old Navy was a Swiffer wet jet. And it was broken. The little like sort of uh, sort of, you know, those like serrated things that you stuff the new uh, the, the wet wipes from the Swiffer wet jet into to keep it locked in the clips. Those were broken. This was old. It was impossible to keep this thing on there. You could just solely press down in the ground use use your force to keep that uh sad like wet nap that they call a, a swiffer wet jet on the bottom of it 
and we had to wa we had to wash the whole old navy and you had to do it until you were done and that was like on every display across all the floor the whole warehouse both bathrooms all this stuff and they called this shift utilities and they started only giving me that shift for and i took that shift for a whole year and i realized only afterward that they were probably trying to get me to quit um and so that's my relationship with the Swiffer wet jet is it was my sole companion uh, in my last days at Old Navy. So wait, I, I got to jump way back to the beginning of this story because Old Navy was pressuring you to get people to sign up for credit cards, like Old yeah. Navy credit cards. Yeah, Old Navy credit cards. And if your so, credit card so you enrollments were low, then you got fired or you got to be the janitor. So there was like a whole Old Navy program for like loyalty customers that were so dedicated to Old Navy that they would buy, they would sign up for Old Navy credit cards specifically to get like rewards at Old Navy. Yeah. That's insane. I mean, obviously the rest of that story is insane with you being forced to do janitorial work <laughs> at your uh, retail job. But uh just everything about old that we might have to do an old navy episode at some point because it seems like there's a real devious underbelly going on here. I've seen some things. Um, that's fascinating. Thank you for sharing, Chris, your story of woe of a forced janitorial service. Um, my personal history with uh, the Swiffer, in particular the original, the OG Swiffer mm. um, stick model. Uh, I think is the official name. Mm -hmm. um, when I was I when I was a kid, my mom was like an early adopter to the Swiffer. I mean, there was a huge marketing campaign where they were advertising this like, oh, you thought a mop was like the height of cleaning utensils? Well, guess what, Buster? There's a new stick in town. And, you know, there was these these enthusiastic women cleaning their kitchens with these Swiffers. And my mom was like an early adopter. She got one like when they first came out. And I remember just like, looking at this thing as like a six or seven year old child, like, how does this even work? How could you possibly use it? It's just, a, it's just a square on a, a rectangle on a stick and you, you push it across the floor. And I would watch as she would like move it across our kitchen floor and pick up like dirt and debris. And I would be astonished. I mean, I was enacting a beautiful Swiffer commercial in my own home. If only there had been cameras and maybe there had been. You know, maybe there were cameras using that for market research. Perhaps the original Swiffer had a camera built in so as to monitor customer satisfaction. I don't know what goes on at Procter & Gamble. Uh, it's just a really fun name to say. So that's really all I know about them as a company. But I wouldn't be surprised if they had some sort of in-home monitoring software. I mean, as soon as the Patriot Act was signed, they were probably like, Oof, we're in the clear. We can absolutely justify this now. Definitely. We don't even have to hide our in-home surveillance system. Oh, our Swiffers are definitely spying on us. They're selling all of our data to Google and then Google back to, I don't know, name a back country. Back to Procter & Gamble. Back, back to Procter & Gamble, Gamble and then Gamble all the way back circle. to the U.S. government. The U.S. government sells it back to Procter & Gamble. They all are selling it to each other. There's no real end. They just love selling data. Yeah, um, can't get enough of it. They get a high on it. You know, it's just a yeah. dopamine rush. It's just a rush. They can't help themselves. They're addicted. Uh, it's entirely possible. Um, but I don't I don't have any uh, tra traumatic experiences with the Swiffer. I think between the two of you, Annette, you were sort of uh, saved by the Swiffer. Yeah. And Chris, in a lot of ways, you were cursed by the Swiffer. Mm. Uh, I would say I, I settle right into a nice medium 
between the two of you and your Swiffer experiences. So uh, we, we cover a nice spectrum here between uh, just potential responses to the Swiffer line of products. So I think that's going to make for some interesting scripts. And hey, speaking of scripts and things that you do with scripts, which is you pitch them, I think it's time to enter into everyone's favorite zone, everyone's favorite <laughs> section of the Adaptation Lounge, that being the pitch zone. And here this week, he has promised us a very special rendition of his very own pitch zone theme song. He's been working on it for the past week, every night. He's been texting me saying how enthusiastic he is about this pitch zone theme song that he has written and composed. So Chris Okawa, please take it away with your pitch zone theme song. Hit it. Um, okay. Uh, <clears throat> uh so this is imagine this in eight bit. I composed it in eight bit in my mind. Do 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 the pitch zone. And the, the voice at the end is also an eight bit. That's another thing that he was the pitch zone. About. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's an eight bit voice. Um, just like a very low quality sound sample. So someone out there is gonna make that a reality and, and it'll sound great. And with that theme song, we have now been entered into the pitch zone where it's time for pitches to be pitched. I was, I was going to say putched because it sounded in my head like pitches that was must the past be tense of pitch. <laughs> pitches must be patched. So everyone here has prepared a in-depth and wonderful display of how they would adapt the Swiffer into and doing things a little differently this week. The only stipulation was that it needed to be some sort of performative format. It could be anything that you wish. So I really have no idea what to expect. Uh, and I'm sure that uh, there's going to be a lot of shock and awe. So why don't we start with Mr. Chris Okawa, this week's uh, Pitch Zone composer with Chris. Tell us all about your adaptation of the Swiffer. Excellent. The parameters were performative medium and... Uh, I wanted to write a, uh, mine is, a, it's a romantic novel to be adapted for television. Um, so okay. just, I, yeah. So read this sort of television pitch as a romantic novel would be. Um, and the tag is so, sort of. So you're, to clarify, you're pitching not a, a movie, but it is a novel in the hopes that one day it will be adapted into a movie. This is sort of like a Hannibal Rising situation where you wanted to make a movie, but you knew that you would have to write it as a book first so that it could then be adapted to be a movie. That is exactly <laughs> what I mean. That is exactly Okay, it. great. I follow you entirely. Yeah. Um, so I call up my friend E.L. James, and uh, she gives me a few tips, and I'm like, all right, it's time to write this book. Um, so the synopsis opens. It follows the torrid lives of Enrique, Therese, Jasper, and Charlie. Um, and the uh, their four lives are swept into the balance when love washes ashore. And that's sort of like the uh, the jacket cover of it. And it's a romantic novel, mind you. And the whole story takes place on this coastal, almost beachy waterfront uh, in like uh, in 2035 uh, after uh, global warming has just decimated our oceans uh, and mm, they're sort of topical. living in like a, yeah they're sort of living in a in like a water world sort of environment um, and there's all of these love these these love triangles and I even numbered their progression so uh, so Enrique and Therese are in a partnership and Jasper and Charlie are in a partnership as well 
And they're all sort of crewmates, sometimes crewmates when they have to go out on, on their apocalypse boat. Uh, and uh, Charlie uh, starts to fall for Enrique and then Therese goes for Jasper, Charlie's partner. Enrique then falls in love with Jasper and then Therese falls in love with Charlie. But it's the future. So everyone's buying Polly. So it's totally cool. That's not the conflict. The conflict is scheduling. The conflict is keeping up with their apocalyptic chores, not the least of which swab in the deck with their new wow. uh, their, their Swiffer okay. uh, right. their Swiffer Sweeper okay. floor mop starter kits that they took from the last Vons right before it caught fire in the end times in the in the post-Trump purge. Uh, and so they have just cases and cases and cases of these Sweeper floor mop starter kits. And we're definitely going to capitalize on those that ad revenue. That's going to be huge for us. Most of the film's going to be mm. actually, you know, sponsored by or yeah, sponsored largely in part by by Swiffer. Um, and so, uh, let's see here. My bullet point features are, uh, apocalyptic sex scenes, far off tropical places. You'll find out is future Connecticut. And then the third bullet point is hard conversations. And then the back jacket, uh, with me and glasses. So, you know, that I'm an intellectual touching my chin, just so looking at the camera right beneath that is, uh, is my sort of quote, uh, about the book, uh, when interviewed by the times inevitably, and it says, hard conversations, even harder bodies. Please enjoy my tour de force romantic novel, Swift Me Off My Feet. <clears throat> so that's Swift Me Off My Okay, so that's a great title. Because it's a romantic novel. It has to have that pun filled title. It has to have it. And oh, of so, course. Yeah, and naturally. So uh, before I move into the, the television adaptation, inevitably, uh, does anyone have any qualms, questions, clarifications regarding this very complex and nuanced tale that I've weaved, wove? I think I need to hear how this is going to look on a TV screen, and then we can really start to kind of break this down. So please tell us about how this is going to be adapted for television. What network is going to do it? You know, yeah. what, or do you have actors in mind? Please, please tell me all about it. Of course. So I want the cast to feel as uh, global as the threat of global warming. Um, so uh, I want Enrique to be played by Diego Luna from Rogue One. Therese to be played by Kate Mara because she's always in my pitches for some reason. I'm not even yeah, a huge for, fan. She has the Mara <laughs> sisters both have shown up a lot. I think There's I haven't made a here. single successful pitch without Amara in it for some reason. Uh, Jasper is going to be played by uh, Richard Madden, uh, known as Rob Stark from Game of Thrones. Uh, and Charlie uh, is going to be played by Giancarlo Esposito uh, from ba Breaking Bad and uh, less famously from, um, I think, The Maze Runner. Um, he, uh, you know, he, he, we wanted that wisdom. I wanted that uh, speculativeness. I wanted uh, that engine for these hard conversations that I'm sure will just erupt uh, throughout this uh, kitchen sink uh, drama that we're weaving. Now, as far as network, I probably could sell it to stars. I think I could honestly, between you and me, I think I could sell anything to stars. And that statement will probably come and bite me in the ass someday. But I feel really confident that stars would like this. And uh, I think as far as filming style, what will really get stars excited is they're going to this. They'll sort of see this as their leftovers. They'll sort of see this as their sort of apocalyptic sort of blockbuster. They're, you know, um, they're walking dead. I want them to, you know, there's going to be a lot of drone shots from above the filming style. Uh, we feel like it's a, you know, tropical island. Uh, and then at the end of season one, 
the camera or the drone sort of pans up and flies up and up and up and up. And we realize we're actually in the northeastern United States. And that's how fucked we got. This is a TV series. I was thinking you were talking made-for-television movie. But you're talking (laughs) full-on. You're talking full-on multi-season television series. Potential for growth. I can see this. It's like a. uh, It's like a Poldark. You know, just like kind of kind of moody. Everyone is shirtless. All the men. I mean, yes, very different in tone. It's twenty thirty-five, and when you're just hammering that home, great. When you're when you're describing to me a love tri- triangle between four people, including Juan Carlos Esposito and uh, uh, Richard Madden, which, I mean, the, the fire that those two would ignite on screen together, I can only imagine. Palpable. But when you're, when you're describing this to me heavily spon- sponsored by cleaning products, my first thought was like, oh, put this on the Hallmark channel. Let's mm. play up the romance. But you're going in a very hard different direction. You want this to be an epic. You want this to be like a moody, dark piece. And I'm interested in that. I'm going to say right now, I am on board. Like, let me ask you this question. This is going to be very important, especially for the television series. These four lovers, do they all make it to the end of the story? Do they all make it to the end of season? They all make it to the end of season one. Um, I think that... I think that we have to, right, our central conflict has to sort of bloom, right? If we're going to be on stars, it has to sort of get out of hand. So if we're looking at the central conflict, it's that love rhombus. It's that it's confusing. It's nebulous. And at first, uh, when Carlo Esposito thinks that he he can keep up with everyone and, and be open-minded and be as comfortable with with this sort of shared communal love that they've created, But uh, we keep flashing back to these hard sort of Catholic upbringing that he had. And his father was very rough with him about these things. And he he battles these inner demons. Uh, Maybe we're sprinkling in a little bit of lost vibes there. Maybe we'll have whole episodes that are pretty much flashbacks. Um, but I, I love think that. ultimately Juan Carlo uh, is he's really troubled, but he he he. So it comes up some Raiders at the end of season one or maybe you know what? Let's you know what? Let's go in. Uh, let's go in Richard Madden's sort of previous employers style. Let's let's take a page out of Martin's book. First episode of season two, Juan Carlos Esposito dies defending against these incumbent raiders of their little patch of heaven in Connecticut. That's what mm, happens. Okay. And so we lose yeah, our sort like- of patriarchal character, our character who we sought wisdom and guidance from. And now we're just adrift. If you're going to go in that like uh, prestige television direction you've got to start killing people off i mean that's how you make your mark you know walking dead that's really all they have left is just rampant (laughs) murder uh you know game of thrones it was what they were most originally known for is sex and violence so you've gotta you've gotta create these high stakes and here's what i here's here's my pitch here's my tweak and you guys can tell me if, if this works for you i think in the first episode you pitch it as this is a five-person main cast. This is a five-pointed, a love <laughs> pentagon, if you will. And, you know, you get a huge star in to be that fifth member. You get oh. somebody, like, I'm talking, like, you know, Robert Downey Jr.'s first television role or something. Yeah, like or that. like you a know, Matthew like McConaughey. A big star. Yeah, exactly. Big star, like, whoa, star power. You put them all over the posters. First episode, boom decapitated by the boat's rotor blades trying to get it to start. And oh. we immediately know 
if McConaughey can die, anyone can die. And I like that's that. The, that's the note that we enter the show in. Can that's I true. counter punch up in in a sort of a trashy sort of uh, you know to, yeah, to better I, sell it to stars? Can can it be a shark? Can we do a shark off the coast of mm. Connecticut? Can we pull that off? Yeah, and then here, let me. What do you think about this? The shark enters the love triangle. The shark feels guilt <laughs> for having eaten Matthew McConaughey, and then all of a sudden, it's it has a redemption arc over the course of the rest of the show as the shark helps them, sort of like Jabberjaw. The shark, the shark, the shark isn't going to talk, but it's going to like clearly feel remorse. You know, we're going to have like close-ups on the shark, as you can see, and it's like beady black eyes that it feels bad for having <laughs> killed this person and then starts helping them by like bringing them supplies. And the shark has this beautiful redemption story over the course. The, the, the shark is our Prince Zuko. That's what I'm pitching here. Oh, there we the go. shark is our Zuko. I was going to say, you put him in the first episode, but then you bring him back for like a season three arc. Oh, it's yeah. It's like a full absolutely. call black, you know. And there's oh, like man. a there's like a moment where the only way they can escape from the raiders is like the shark has to sacrifice himself. Yeah. And like that's gonna be the that's your Hodor. That's your Hodor moment of uh, like everybody like, oh mm-hmm. my god, I can't but like I was just starting to like the shark. I thought I would never like the shark. And then I liked the shark and then he's gone. Yeah. yeah. That's your hold the door. I mean, that's 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 gonna be the thing people are gonna want to get t-shirts of. They're gonna get t-shirts of that shark. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to talk to the marketing department now and start preemptively working up some. We need to warm shark up those presses. Yeah, for sure. T-shirts. Maybe Absolutely. maybe they name the shark Swiffer. Maybe, maybe they we, maybe they give him the name Swiffer. Maybe we wear the shirts to the pitch meeting. I mean, stars. Like I said, they'll buy anything. They'll buy anything at all. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's that's sort of my idea. Swift me off your feet. Romantic novel novella uh, turned uh, a torrid uh, television series. I do want the television series to stick very closely to the, you know, 10 to 15 chapter uh, speed read romance novel that I write. Um, But beyond that, I'm pretty open to pretty much anything can happen, including the shark. Well, I think I've made it clear that with the shark in the show, I'm very on board. Uh, Annette, what, how, how are you feeling about this pitch? What is your overall critique? Yeah. Would you propose any changes? Look, I'm I'm all in for the shark. I'm all in for mm. the the gritty intrigue. But honestly, I'm I'm here for that for the love. What did you say, rhombus? Yes, <laughs> love rhombus. <laughs> rhombus, the love rhombus. I'm all here for that. That's uh, you're gonna tap tap back into the Downton Abbey crowd with it. Mm-hmm. You know, if so much mm-hmm. of this is actually kind of like a cozy chore drama where everyone's just swabbing <laughs> in this post-apocalyptic world you know tap into those soap opera moments get yes. those men shirtless get everyone real mm. horny make sure the sexual tension is really repressed and you got oh, yourself yeah. a hit yeah. i mean i want to see juan carlo esposito's nipples at least five <laughs> times per half hour uh, and I think that um, I think that we should really take a page from like Outlander's book oh, and just absolutely. make this like the horniest. Ch- I think we should try to out horny. Nothing Outlander. but cunnilingus. Please, no rape, though. No, no, that that got me out of no. And if anyone's listening, no, I don't approve of that bit. I that no, got me off that show because really? the flashbacks. I was like, we have done this enough. Please, please, yeah, some real. <laughs> 
Uh, I've only ever seen my only experience with Outlander is what my mom is obsessed with the show, and I've seen everyone's bits mom and pieces. <laughs> I've seen that's true. That's true. My if mom, you're a mom is too. You, you love Outlander. You can't not love Outlander if you're a mom. Uh, but I've only seen bits and pieces uh, through what she's watched, and every bit or piece I've seen has been somebody's bits and pieces. If oh you know yeah, what I'm saying they are yeah. super <laughs> super up with each other's business. It is just softcore porn. Just. That whole show is just that. It's but just. it's like the, the guys who did Star Trek Deep Space Nine. <laughs> like Deep Space Nine and Battlestar Galactica. And they were like, all right, time to just it's have some Scottish out. people fucking. You know what, though? My, my mom has been rewatching <laughs> Deep Space Nine recently. And I got to tell you, I think if they had had the license to do what Outlander does, there would be so, so much softcore porn in it's Deep Space Nine. It's pretty it's a horny. Star I mean, show, those hollow suites. Yeah, it's a star show. You're right. You're it's right. The same network. I mean, as if you think about it, yeah. And all of this is staying in. I will not edit any of this out. But so many episodes <laughs> of of Deep Space Nine feature hand jobs on screen because Ferengi, it is established their ears are basically their oh, dicks, yeah. and that yeah. getting their oh. ears rubbed is like a hand job oh. for them. And that happens all the time on that show. So, like, n- never have you seen so many on-screen hand jobs as in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So yeah. I think we need to bring that energy in as well. I'm talking oh, two hand jobs per episode. Nothing but I hand want to stuff. See, I want to see all of these characters get hand stuff done to them often. Maybe we write it into the into the lore. We write it into the lore that, like, hand stuff has become, oh the, like, prime. They've, they're surrounded by cleaning products. Stars. So why not? Nothing but hand stuff. <laughs> Just hand stuff. And they have Hands the Swiffer the- mittens. <laughs> the Swiffer mittens. It makes a full return. Stars. Hands where we all can see them. Where the world can see them. I think showing hand stuff on screen is an untapped market that we are about oh, to tap into. I think into. it's pretty well tapped, my <laughs> I think it's pretty well tapped. Not on stars, not yet. Not yet on stars. That's what I'm saying. I didn't so. see. I didn't see Ray Donovan get a hand job. I didn't see Spartacus Blood on the Sand get a hand job. But I'm going to now. I think All right. we, um, in, in that vein, I think from stars, the people that are talking about people out of work, the people from Black Flag, I think we'll approach their like showrunners and folks there. Some of their sets maybe we'll use to create our post-apocalyptic beachfront Connecticut. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be lovely. It's going to be beautiful. I mean, I'm on board. We got sharks. We got hand jobs. We got uh, Juan Carlos Esposito's nipples. I mean, this is. And this hard is conversations. That's the yeah, hard, and hard conversations. Hard conversations, harder nipples. Uh, so that's that's our tagline. That's for the poster with Matthew McConaughey there, and then maybe a shark fin in the background, <gasps> so that like oh, people, people like, that, that like look back at the first episode like, poster were like they were shit. trying to warn us all along. Yeah. Uh, so I think this has got the green light. I think I'm going to get stars on the phone uh, immediately to get this into production because we got a hit on our hands, uh, and that is. <laughs> A tough act to follow, uh, but I have no choice but to follow it. And I'm afraid to say that my pitch is going to have significantly less hand jobs, but I'm open. Don't pitch it. I'm open. I'm open to (laughs) get the fuck out of here. (laughs) I'm open to it. Um, This this that that can be our first note. Okay. So, 
going with the um, going with the angle that this can be any performative medium, I also decided to uh, uh, really mix things up, and I decided that for my adaptation of Swiffer, I was going to mount a high, high, probably the highest in the history of the uh, market, high budget Broadway musical called right. Swiffer colon the musical. All right. Allow me great, to great. Okay. allow me to read through the pitch I prepared. And if you're familiar with my pitches on this show, none of this should be particularly surprising to you. <clears throat> the year oh. is 4633. The planet Tesculon Prime is suddenly and without warning invaded by a nefarious force. The contaminated liberation empire of allied nations, also known as the Clean Empire. This nefarious band of brutish invaders has one goal and one goal alone. To make every planet in the galaxy as dirty as their disgusting home world. No! Led by the sadistic Mr. Clean, the Empire crushes all who stand to oppose its mighty and disgusting fighting force. When Tesculon Prime is conquered and made filthy, young Oxy Proctor, heir to a noble family, is left orphaned when his family's home and fortune is destroyed. He embarks on a quest of revenge seeking to bring down Mr. Clean and destroy his empire of filth once and for all, accompanied by his family's trusty housekeeper android, Febreze. They travel together across the ruined landscape of the once pristine Tesculon Prime. Eventually, they run into a mysterious old coot known only as the Gambler. He claims to have the answer to their prayers, knowledge of an item of such power, that Mr. Clean himself trembles at the thought of its existence. He's willing to share this information with our heroes, but only if they can defeat him in a game of chance. They Mm. are successful, and he shares with them the story of the Swiffer, (gasps) a tool capable of cleaning any mess, no matter how dirty. For thousands of years, it kept the universe clean and the people safe, until Mr. Clean discovered it and shattered it into eight pieces. The eight pieces are scattered across the universe, but if Oxy can bring all eight pieces together, the Swiffer will bestow its power upon him and he can rid the galaxy of the Clean Empire's tyranny. Oxy initially dismisses this tale as nothing but hogwash until the gambler reveals that he himself holds a piece of the Swiffer. He was waiting for one brave enough with a noble enough cause to pass it on to. He gives them the piece along with a clue as to where the uh, another might be held and joins our heroes on their quest. And then I literally just wrote down, here's all the planets they go to and here's all of the uh, uh, adventures that they have on said planets. We have Rotox 4, the planet of ropes. The planet itself is made entirely of rope. Their legend tells of a brave soul that will one day appear and unknot the planet, relieving the roped people of all pain and strife. Oxy and his companions are able to do so, but once the planet has been unknotted, the planet unravels entirely until all that is left is Oxy, his companions, and a piece 
the Swiffer. Then we have the planet Glad, the planet that's just a big lake. All the people of this planet live in boats and speak only in epic rhyming poetry. Oxy and his companions must compose an epic poem worthy of taking home first prize in the annual lake rhyming contest, a piece of the Swiffer. Uh, we have Doppel, the planet of doubles, where they have to face off against their own evil doubles. There's a catchy Delta, the planet of sleep, where they're all entered into a deep sleep and must navigate a dream realm. Discover on 12, the planet of discovery. They land on the planet and then they just kind of find the piece sitting there out in the open. Uh, this part of the show is not super exciting because the budget's very inflated by this point with all oh, these yeah, different yeah. planets. Yeah. So we kind of had to like cut our bigger plans for that planet and just have it. They just find it there. Uh, we have Politico 9, the planet of elections. All things on this planet, no matter how small, are decided by intense elections. Our heroes must run for the office of hero in order to be gifted with a piece of the Swiffer. And finally, they go to Lustfelix, the planet of high school crushes. Oh. Our heroes must resist the temptation of their high school crushes. <laughs> manifested by the planet in an attempt to sway them from their epic quest. So finally, with all the pieces of the Swiffer in hand, Oxy and his band of traveling companions, which is made larger by his journey to these wacky-themed planets, must go to the Eraser, the ultimate death ship of the clean empire, oh. capable of wiping out entire planets and replacing them with mounds of yucky, gross mud. On the ship, the final showdown takes place. And one by one, all of Oxy's companions give their lives to the cause, leaving only Oxy to face off against the mighty emperor, Mr. Clean. And in their showdown, Mr. Clean reveals his tragic origin story. He was once a lonely young boy who wanted nothing more than to be noticed by his germaphobic parents, but they were just too busy to pay him any mind. One day, he accidentally fell into a puddle of mud and his parents, so thoroughly disgusted with their now unclean son, abandoned him at an old junkyard to be raised by broken down, sentient, talking cars that verbally what? abused and mocked the young lad. <laughs> he grew up resenting all things clean, so they reminded him of his parents. He also didn't love cars, but that's not super related to our story. Oxy is moved by this tale of woe and decides to spare his life. Instead, he cleans the dirty man up and shows him the one thing he's been looking for his entire time as emperor of the universe, love. Wow. The two embrace and are married in a beautiful finale, and they vow to clean up the mess they made together as husband and husband. Oh, I and love that. And then curtain. And if you'll indulge me slightly further, I do have a, a list of songs. Oh, I good. I, I was going to ask about the songs. Do you have a uh, a musical genre for each? So or? I think that I think that we're gonna get like Yes or like Rush involved. Uh -huh. I want this to be basically like a rock opera. Okay. Like Super Tramp. Are you open to that? You want it a little like. Yeah, we can get, you know, I want this to be like a dad rock opera with just like all, just wailing guitar solos that are way too long, experimental nice. keyboards and like electronic sounds, you know, really just overindulgent. So an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. Yeah, basically. An Andrew Lloyd, an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. Only I don't think there's going to be much dialogue outside the singing. 
Um, yes. So he's Yes. So an Andrew Lloyd Webber. Not a lot of lines in yeah. Cats, I'll tell you. I'm thinking this is going to be a lot like it's going to be a lot. If I had to compare it to an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, I would say imagine like a six-hour-long version of Starlight Express. I was I going say. to say, is this Star Mites? <laughs> is it Starlight Express? Is it Little Shop of Horrors? Is it the it's, Planet X? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 all of these put well, together. Yeah, there will be, group? I mean, the, I'm in. Instead of talking trains, we're going to have the talking cars come out. Yeah, on I was going to say, what's great with that is that he's clearly comfortable with a vehicle that's sentient. He's very comfortable with that. Um, all right, so this is, I'm going to read through this uh, this list of songs. So in Act One, we have the Clean Overture, uh, a song called Main Square, the ballad of Tescalon Prime. Drop, 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 the coming of the dropships. I had a family, in parentheses, now it's all mud. <laughs> then we have, uh, we have Febreze Rat Break, number one. Uh, Febreze, I'm thinking we'll, prob- we'll probably get Lynn in to play this. Oh, uh, yeah, he's yeah. got a cameo and everything now. Yeah, so I feel maybe, like isn't, maybe we'll yeah. get... Can we maybe we'll call him Fabrizio or something? Can we kind of try and bury the lead on that one, or do you need? A yeah, that's. I think that's fine. I think we can we can rename him to Fabrizio. Fabrizio. Uh, we have getting dicey. The gambler's theme. Oh shit! The legend of the Swiffer. Main Square reprise. Act two, and uh, this is mostly just uh, the planet songs. We have tied down the theme of Ro- Rotox Four. The epic of Glad. Which one? The theme of Doppel. Muzzy Fuzzy Muzzy Dreams. Febreze Rat <laughs> Break, like number two. sounds like a Ben and Jerry's flavor. <laughs> muzzy Fuzzy Muzzy Dreams. <laughs> muzzy Fuzzy Muzzy Dreams. That one's, that one's probably going to be a single, I'm thinking. Um, we've got Febreze Rat one Break, on number two. America. Yeah, absolutely. That's, <laughs> that's, that's going to go on the David Letterman show. That's the Thanksgiving Day Parade one. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, the one they lip sync to in the cold. Yeah. We have the, the theme of Planet Discoveron. Oh, there it is. Uh, Febreze rap break number three. Febreze rap break number four. And then finally we get into act three where we have Decision, the theme of Politico 9. Take me to the prom, the theme of Lustfelix. Swiffer. Febreze rap break number five. Uh, Song of the Spider Queen. Eraser. Febreze rap break number six. Parade of Death, in parentheses, for a worthy cause. Febreze Rap Break, in parentheses, the death of Febreze. Uh, the final showdown, which I'm imagining would just be like guitar solos. And uh, that one's probably going to be about two hours long in and of itself. Yeah, um, yeah. Mr. Clean's Lament, that's where we'll get his backstory. And then perhaps dot, 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 love, question mark. Then we have Febreze Ghost Rap Break. And then our final number, we have Ghost. marriage. Sl- <laughs> we have marriage slash choose love slash clean enough slash main square re reprise slash Febreze and hell rap break slash finale. <laughs> Febreze and hell. How did he get to hell? Uh, he did some horrible things. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a he's he's a he's a pervert. No, Febreze. that's uh, that's some operatic shit. That makes sense. It's like the uh, end of a Jerry his, Springer his, musical. His, <laughs> his, his, his tragic, his tragic ending. It's very much like if you've ever been on Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Yeah, uh, it's a lot like the end of that. Who doesn't um, want to end a Disney ride in hell? So I'm thinking this will probably have to be two parts, a la Cursed Child. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the precedent you know, set. You can get like you can get like a super ticket where you see like the whole thing in like one unbroken six hour long session with no intermission. 
And if you leave, you will not be allowed to go back to your seat. Um, you will be forced to leave the theater. That's it, it breaks the integrity of the piece if you miss any piece of it. Um, so you can get like that super ticket and or you can see it in like two different pieces on two different nights. Mm. Uh, so that is uh, Swiffer the musical. I open the floor to any thoughts, any adjustments. There's a lot of hand jobs that can be worked in. I think the whole planet of high school crushes could could just be one long hand job sequence. That's true. Um, maybe that's how they're like tempted, and then they're like, "No, no hand jobs. We have to focus." Take a take a note out of Spring Awakening there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. The connections absolutely. are maybe out there. We'll get Duncan Sheikin to do that that one song about hand jobs. Yeah. Do you have a Do you have a composer in mind? Yeah, like I said, I I want to get I I want to get this you know sort of like how you had Bono in the Edge working on Spider Man. Yeah. I want to get the most experimental. I want to get like Alan the Alan Parsons project, or uh, I want to get Yes, you know, or Sticks. Sticks would be great. I feel like this is right up their alley. Oh yeah, I forgot it's Dad Rock. I was thinking maybe something like whatever is left of the band or Alt J. But I guess that would bring us, that would catapult us into the present too much and too many Grammys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm anticipating several Grammys on this, but, uh, you know, we got to leave room for somebody else. Um, I mean, and we can have, obviously, Lynn will write his uh, rap breaks. Uh, I don't think that there's definitely, we'll, we'll really have any say in that. I think he's, he's going to kind of take full control there. Um, he's kind of already taken control. Uh, just by mentioning his name, I've sort of summoned him like Beetlejuice, and he's already started <laughs> writing the rap breaks for it. He doesn't uh, know so why. Really... He's just yeah. in his house. He was woken up from a deep sleep. <laughs> like, wait a minute. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't even like. Honestly, the the weird thing is, when I was writing this last night, there was no Febreze and there was no rap breaks, <laughs> but all of a sudden, it just worked its way into my pitch on it on its own accord. So, you know, Lin Manuel Miranda is less a hu- less a person and more of an agent, a, a force of nature, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I can't stop him. I think the only thing we're really missing here is a a deep life lesson from Febreze, since Febreze mm. ends mm. up in hell. And we have this yes. beautiful uh, we we learn to live together and uh, and and love each other, mostly with hand jobs. And then yeah. we have the contrast of Febreze and Hell, who sacrifice yeah. themselves, and here we are. And what do we what do we learn from that? Maybe Febreze hates hand jobs. Maybe that's his uh, arc. Is that he he is he is he's a body shamer. He's a body shamer who's like hand jobs are gross. Only hand jobs after marriage and not before. Wow, he's gonna have an extensive rap. So the one religious character gets passed into a Jacobian hell. Yes, absolutely. Lesson. It's ironic. It's an ironic. You can't get hurt unless you believe in it. You uh, can't go there unless you believe it. I think that, and I want to. I want to really give it at the floor to 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 really uh, raise questions. And I have some folks here from ethics, HR, and accounting that have some questions. But uh, from I'm just from Creative. Uh, hi, my name's uh, J- Jerome, and I'm from Creative. Uh, I have an idea for this first moment with Fabrice, uh, Fabrizio. Sorry, uh, maybe he is like just he's swiffering, right? And maybe it's a cold open mm-hmm. to the show. And the 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 Swiffer catches something in the floor, and you get a wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. Okay, whoa, it's like a record scratch. Yeah, and then Fabrizio (laughs) sort of starts off our narrative. Maybe he's our overall narrator, kind of like a Hades town, right? Yeah, or I well, I was gonna say like Aladdin, but yeah, Yeah, or like Aladdin, (laughs) like his own uh, his own legacy Hamilton. Maybe he's the Burr of of this one. 
Oh, he's the burr because he ends up in hell in the yeah. end. Yeah. And if he's something about it. being a pervert he's, or whatever his thing is. I don't know what his thing is. <laughs> he 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 is a he's pervert, um, but he also is he hates hand jobs. He doesn't embrace yeah. his perversion and that's why he's doomed. Yeah. Uh, I think ultimately is is kind of is the ironic, you know, because it's clear that Fabrizio, even though he is an android, uh is potentially the horniest one. He's sort of like, I think I would compare him to um the villain of the hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that's the kind of yeah. role he's he's filling in here. Oh wow, this is um, your sanctuary. So I love, I love, I love the image of him Spray. starting with that, and then maybe you know we start with like this bare stage, so we sort of lull the audience into a false sense of security, thinking like, oh, this is just going to be like a a small scale musical, and then we have this like beautifully animated like robot puppet. Like I'm thinking mm-hmm. like. Lin-Manuel comes out, he's playing the character, but it's very Lion King where he's like articulating this like puppet and he's like sweeping with a Swiffer and the audience is already laughing because they're like, there's that thing. I knew that thing was going to show up. And then as he gets like stuck on something and he starts, you know, beatboxing and, and Swiffering, this, he starts pulling away this facade of a bare stage and revealing the actual set which is this glorious, you know, large-scale space opera setting, you know, where we have these these ships and there's projections and, like, actual, like, we're going to have actual drones flying across the stage. Mm. This is going to be a billion-dollar production. I'm thinking this is, like, for sure going to be a Force Awakens-level budget here that we're operating with. Absolutely. Uh, so that's something we have to go in prepared with. That's why we have the planet of nothing happening because you know that's our that's our money saving. That's the one place where we're going to skimp on the budget, but everywhere else is going to be huge. Yeah, I mean, look, you can also take a page out of Mean Girls and do just nothing but projections and a, Ooh, and a, and a tiny turntable. So you're basically <laughs> watching turntable. a movie. So you're basically watching a movie with a puppet and people. It's like going to see a, a screening of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, but you're watching only the people. <laughs> lip syncing in front and the movie is just the scene in the background. I do I do like that, but I also want to have some Spider-Man-esque moments where the characters swing over the audience. Of yeah, course. I think that's important. I mean, we've got to have that. Yeah. That's I think necessary. The, the big takeaway from Spider-Man was what a good idea that in particular was. Yeah. So I think I it's think important to incorporate that. that into this. All right, Especially so. on the rope planet. I mean, maybe for the rope planet, we have ropes oh, dangled down over the audience. Yeah. And man, we yeah. get some like acrobats to just like yeah, swing across Lake, them the cast of Ka, they're going to be looking for work around the time that this uh this comes out exactly i think if you're, if you're looking shows for are closing now yeah <laughs> if you're looking for a good back up, you can get the lyric no problem yeah you can get good, whoever you want uh, whenever you want a good visual point of comparison for this i think would be the michael jackson cirque du soleil show which <laughs> is maybe the most spectacular piece of theater i've ever seen um oh. but just constant special effects constant music uh big time uh performers just like swinging around and, and helmed doing by a personage of... known for his perversions so it yeah, actually exactly. has a lot more connections than we even intended <laughs> parallels to your production yeah it's a you know it's a it's a it's a heavy metaphor it's very it's very subtle so I have a couple folks here that would love to ask a few questions if we could please uh fire away um, so this is Marge from uh, Ethics. First of all, very big fan. Um, but uh, the rope planet, 
technically that that ends in a genocide. Yes. Uh, technically, but they, they do wish it on themselves. They do want to be unknotted. They hate that they're alive and they want to return to the sweet nothingness of just being a rope. Mm, it's sort of like a monkey's paw situation. Be careful what you wish for. Yeah, I, I, I guess so. I mean, I don't think they realize, I don't think our heroes realize that they all want to die, but, uh, but it happens. And, and maybe there's like a moment of one of the last ropes that's like, as he's coming unraveled, He's like, no, you don't understand. We wanted this. We hate being alive. We hate it. We just want to tie things together. All right. Um, um, good. So, uh, yeah. That sells a it message me. about assisted suicide. Yeah, it's basically a mass suicide. Is this, uh, uh, yeah, you should it. workshop this in Portland. I think it would be a hit. Um, this is Carrie from uh, HR. Um, I've seen high school crushes as like a central plot point throughout multiple pieces of yours in the past, um, including role-playing <laughs> uh, games, um, theatrical endeavors, uh, including I this one. Mm-hmm. What, what's what's that about? Invite us into there. Should we be worried? Uh, no, no. I mean, if, okay, so if my high school crush listens to this and is like, oh my God, uh, he sounds so, like he's grown up and to be such a mature and responsible adult, like, oops, I guess that's just like an unavoidable consequence. But uh, no, there's no intentionality behind that choice uh, whatsoever. I think uh, high school crushes is just something that is a universal human experience that I am tapping into through the lens of drama. Mm. Lovely. And uh, last question. Uh, this is um, Barry from accounting. Uh, are the cars on stage, are these real cars or are these fake cars? No, they're real cars. We're going to have to use real cars. Um, there's there's going to be real cars that have been rigged with uh, animatronics to the appearance of speaking, in addition to the sort of backup dancers for that moment, which will be people in car costumes on roller skates, a la Starlight Express. So it'll be a combination of both. But there will be several cars and they will have to be like, I mean, because they're going to need to be expensive new sports cars if we're going to have an air of legitimacy. I sort of want a moment like uh, at every E3 when Microsoft inexplicably shows off a car on stage for some reason to announce their new Forza game. I want to have that moment be recreated where we just bring out these multiple. So a big chunk of this budget is going to go to buying sports cars. Cars and, Um, and the security and storage of those cars. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they are going to be turned on during the performance. So we're going to have to figure out some sort of ventilation system for the exhaust because there will be a lot of exhaust in this room when these cars are going. Mm, and they're going to be revving too. So there's going to be a lot of a lot of exhaust in this indoor uh, closed space. Well, I'm intimidated. That's my that's my landing place on this project because I'm intimidated, but I'm very excited. Well, that's what I was going for. I was going for intimidation. So am I am I am I getting the green light here? I feel like I'm getting some great responses. I feel like we're all on board. Uh, Lynn is he's already in production somehow. He's already uh, choreographing several dance numbers. So that's not even a question. Lynn's already got the investors. So it sounds like you're ready to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah you don't I need us. Look, honestly, I don't even think he's going to need this, me much longer. I'm this, worried about it. Oh man, listen. This is just the the next stage for Broadway. You know, we were just all up in uh, different kinds of intellectual property being adapted for the stage. I think it's only right that the next step is cleaning products. Mm, Absolutely. Absolutely. You have the Adams Family. Mm -hmm. You got Mean Girls. Then you got cleaning products. You got Swiffer. You got Mr. Clean. Yeah. It's all in there. It's just future thinking. 
Well, beautiful. Uh, so far, none of this was what I was anticipating. Uh, we've got we've got a a very erotic stars series, stars prestige mm-hmm, series. We've mm-hmm. got a extremely exorbitantly expensive Broadway musical, and now we turn to uh, the woman of the hour, our guest Annette Storkman, with her take on Swiffer. Please, Annette, take it away. Thank you, thank you so much. As I. Uh... As I started to say before we started recording, I I woke up in the middle of the night and I, I had an epiphany about this. <laughs> so as you guys know, America is in trouble. And what does this country need and love the most? Late capitalism and copaganda. In this action-packed mm. new gritty film, we marry these two proud concepts with the Swiffer, Mop, and Sweeper. Welcome to the world of Sweeper City. Jeff the Sweep Swiffer is the best cop in the city of Cincinnati. (laughs) He sweeps the city clean of crime, 10 times better than the traditional beat cop. Jeff Mm. is expecting to make chief, but on the day of the promotion would be announced, he is met with some unexpected news. A new partner, Proctor, who's a real mop. And what's a mop? That's a guy who just brings the room down. (laughs) not sexy at all like the sweep but when the sweep's girlfriend grandmother and puppy are all taken hostage by a vague and ill-defined crime lord these two cops have to learn to work together the twist they're actually twins formerly conjoined and learn that when they work together they can trap and dissolve dirt and grime locking it away forever other facts for this plot. <laughs> Jeff Sweeper comes from a long line of chimney sweeps dating all the way back to the 1700s. Of course. Revolutionary times. He'll, but uh, his father will never be proud of his son because though he sweeps the streets of crime, he has not swept a chimney ever. Also, oh. Jeff and Proctor's mother died under vague circumstances, though it's later revealed that the crime lord's father had something to do with it, kind of like Jason Statham's character in the Fast and Furious franchise, which we all know and love. Sure. And uh, when the twins were separated from each other, they realized one had all the spunk and the other just kind of sucked, so they sent the sucky one to go live with some nuns. Right? (laughs) Naturally. Naturally. So not only only is this movie copaganda, it's got a little bit of eugenics in there, too. Absolutely. Runtime, approximately two hours and 30 minutes. Exactly 30 oh, minutes too long. <laughs> due to I would an extended, almost maybe even an hour. Yeah. <laughs> due to an extended and poorly shot car to helicopter chase scene. <laughs> Projected budget is about $200 million. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, mm-hmm. this film is about brotherhood, the way trauma binds us, and the incredible two-in-one action of the sweeper mop set and a breakdown of our characters real quick jeff sweeper is a sexy troubled who has never once been trigger happy cop 30s ruggedly handsome probably played by john ham proctor also very sexy but he doesn't know it also in his 30s could be played by a man in his 50s if he's buff enough nebbish and really dampens the room a perfect breakout role for an unknown sabrina Mm. a sensible 32 
and a totally normal lady who loves dogs, probably played by Florence Pugh, who I know is not 32, but she's, she'll get there. She'll get there. Grandma, (laughs) the most beautiful grandma in the world. 50 played by Sarah Paulson. Puppy. (laughs) A great boy. The best boy. Way cuter than John Wick's puppy. Probably a corgi. Ricky, a sexy, sexy crime lord, canonically bisexual because it's easier to let villains be gay. Ricky's crew, all very hot, all extremely bisexual, all ready to make this city filthy. (laughs) Definitely handjobs there. Oh, yeah. We got to have handjobs. I've seen the potential. Yeah, you know. Retiring police chief Susanna, a good 40, also bisexual, but she doesn't tell Twitter about it. Definitely played by Gillian Anderson. And Mr. Gamble sweeps. Jeff's estranged father who will never be proud of his son. And that's what we got. Mm. All right. I, I want to talk for a second about this villain character because yes. as soon as you said ill-defined crime lord, my brain was racing <laughs> with so many potentials here. I think we need to get somebody. Uh, I think we need to get like a uh, uh, Pedro Pascal in to okay. be a sort of Pablo Escobar, uh, Escobar type yeah. who's always in a white suit and has got like a pinky ring that he's always kind of adjusting while he thinks about stuff. Yeah. Oh, and here's a, Here's what I'm thinking for his intro scene, right? We have a we have a tracking shot where a camera moves through this like gorgeous mansion where we've got all these like shirtless buff dudes like lounging around like it's some sort of like Greek painting or something. And then we bring the camera upstairs into his office where we have him kind of sitting back in front of just like a mountain of like cocaine and he's like <laughs> leaning back in his chair and there's a there's another handsome buff man who's who's like under the table giving him a hand job. And uh-huh. that's the first uh-huh. there time it is. we yeah, see there the, it is. this character. And his name should be like Pablo Scarface or something. <laughs> Pablo Scarface. What I like about that character is that it threatens to set back the Latinx community by decades. But yeah, it's a lot. I, I, you know, I think. Yeah, I think it. I think it's. <laughs> sets it, it sets a high a high bar for our writing team which i'm very confident uh i mean led, led by annette annette you you would you would assemble a very apt writer's room that could take that on right you could you could rise to that occasion and make it somehow make that not racist absolutely we will assemble a full team of nothing but other latinx writers i say other Good. i am not latinx just Latinx writers. <laughs> to, if we're, if, to if we're other writers than you, but they are Latinx. So that is they are they Latinx. Are other. I realized how I phrased that sounds like I was saying I am Latinx. I'm you got very carried away in the not. pitch, and that happens in this zone. Just, sometimes we merge you know, with the, the pitch itself. Sometimes. Well, you know, I did name the the crime lord Ricky. That's right. His name is Ricky. Uh, maybe Mark. Ri- maybe Ricky, we bring in Ricky Martin to play him this in. role. It's time. Be. Um, um, that would be what, a nice comeback for him. I what I it like be, about this is that right. I'm Annette. Does this take place in the future, like the other two pieces, or is this modern day? This would be modern day, but I could definitely also see it like ten years from now. You know, okay. America has broken down. We are now just a bunch of states, no federal government anymore. There's only the centralized cops. <laughs> Of each state. This is almost like and if this is almost like Judge Dredd. And if it's now. in Ohio, you know that shit's gonna be fucking weird. <laughs> Ohio gets weird first. Is one of I the mean, lines in the trailer. 
Ohio definitely gets weird first. first Let's they came not for play. Ohio. <laughs> I mean, if, if we're if we're making a classic piece of propaganda, I think we need to throw in a scene there where they have all the details they need, but the bureaucracy just won't let cops go far enough. And they're like yeah. trying to put take the law into our own hands. Yeah. And if I can pitch, I think we need to have a sequence where uh, our hero John Hamm is disarmed by by Ricky Martin, and he needs to improvise a weapon. And he sort of reaches into the broom closet and he pulls out like a Swiffer, and he's able to use that as like a bow staff. Full product mm. placement. Oh, but then the other side is the sweeper. So you get the double side, like when oh, yeah. uh, is um, like a Darth crap. Maul sort of situation. A little bit of a Darth Maul situation. I was like, the second you get the two lightsabers, it's over. Oh, there yeah. it is. General Kenobi. Yeah, I one love. Of those, I maybe. love uh, that's a General Grievous. Yeah, General Grievous. General Grievous. Oh, I knew that's a General that's Grievous. That's who I was line. thinking of, but I kept yeah. thinking of Count Dooku, and I was like, "That's not right." Oh yeah, no, it's a Grievous. <laughs> all line these for memorable sure. characters. I don't know how you could possibly not remember them when they all they had so much to are say. Defined by their lightsabers, and, and I'm not characters. going on that. So well right animated now. as cartoons, the cartoons <laughs> they are. Um, the uh, violent yeah, cartoons absolutely. they are. Uh, um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I also think this entire movie has to hinge on the fact that because these twins were once conjoined, they do share thoughts and that's how they can really sweep up crime so well. Ooh. And that's, so you can almost put in like a, uh, like a last Jedi kind of situation Absolutely. where they're sort of like communicating telepathically and they don't realize it. And it sort of creates this Wait bond between them. You want to mop the city. I want to sweep it together. Oh, we completely. Maybe we're not so different. You we're not so different. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You gotta have that. Mm -hmm, You gotta have that mm -hmm, scene. mm -hmm. And then you know, you know, here's here's a laugh scene for you. Is you you introduce this mop character who's just like a total sad sack and like you know such a downer. But then he's our romantic lead, and he's the one that like gets the girl at the end. Absolutely. You know, we bring in like takes Florence Pugh. Yeah, exactly. He's the one who ends up with Florence Pugh at the end of the movie. Yeah, at the beginning of the movie, we know that Florence Pugh and Jeff are maybe just like not quite getting along, you know? She Mm -hmm. knows that she loves him, but just something isn't quite right. And then when Proctor appears on the scene, she's like, wait a minute, you're like my boyfriend, but exactly what I needed. So Mm. do we have a a grizzled police chief character in this who takes away their badges. Yeah. That is the retiring police chief, Susanna played by Jillian Anderson. Okay. So maybe not grizzled, but like hard line. Yeah. I mean, she seems to shit. We see her commit a murder of an innocent person to open up and her body (laughs) cam is off. Uh (laughs) Yep. (laughs) They're like, but but officer, your body cam is like, Maybe maybe in a bit of vi- in a bit of visual symmetry, our introduction to Gillian Anderson is the same as our introduction to Ricky, where we have this tracking shot through the police station, and one of her like uh, officers <laughs> under her is giving her a a a, a, a Jill job, whatever the <laughs> whatever you would call. I, mean, I guess you can still call it a hand job. I mean, there's still a hand involved <laughs> and it's doing a job. But she's getting a hand job from uh, from like one of her officers. So it's almost like this weird parallel where it's like, whoa, 
cops and criminals are two sides of the same coin. Absolutely. Yeah. They um, need each well, other. I, it's the yin and the yang. Exactly. They, one the can't the exist yang without the other. It's Batman no, and Joker. So many cops are criminals. So, you know, it's just. <laughs> yeah. Here it is. The cycle. They continues. really are not so different, you and really I. Not so not, different, you becoming, and I. Really not so different, you and I. Yeah, that. Uh, you that sold some is, drugs. I yeah. killed a bunch of people today just because. <laughs> you, you sold some drugs. I planted them for free in a Coke can in Baltimore and <laughs> happened upon them. Good thing my body cam was off. Oh, shit. I don't know how this thing works. Well, this is a, this is a movie with a lot to say. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's I got to respect that. I, I respect yeah. an issue movie. I respect a movie that's topical. And I especially respect a movie that's 30 minutes too long because of its extended car to helicopter chase sequence, what? which... Brings me to a question: Do they are they in a car and then get out of the car and get in a helicopter, or do they like crash a car into a helicopter and then the helicopter just continues the chase on with the car inside of it? So it's definitely one of those where they're like on a bridge and the helicopter mm-hmm. is flying above, mm-hmm. probably flown by Florence Pugh, and yes. uh, they're going, and then the car crashes into the into the crime lord's truck and it flips. But our heroes, they jump out just in time and grab onto the helicopter and then oh, get yeah. in. The but skid, the truck yeah. is not deterred and it probably also can fly. Oh, flying trucks. Flying, now, uh, now I'm interested. Flying trucks, especially if it's 10 years in the future. Maybe, Who knows yeah. what kind of insane. Well, and this has yeah, to let's, let's get Musk on the line. Are we attached to this being the finale of the picture or? Is there a similar, could we do something with this truck reveal maybe where, and I haven't seen this done in a film before, which is what really excites me. Maybe they transfer into the truck and you're like, oh, they're totally fucked. These guys are ruined. They're going to die. They're going to hit this overpass. And then the truck ignites, you know, the ionic sort of engine uh-huh. kicks in. It goes and it lifts up. And then we get our title card that says 20. 30, like the year oh, 2030. No. And that's when we know we're in the future a little bit. Oh, man. Okay. I mean, that is a great reveal for the very beginning for us to meet Jeff the Sweep Swiffer. Yeah. We now, see he's a badass. We see the kind of crime that he's sweeping up and he can have some kind of cool catchphrase at the end. And we know yeah. exactly where we are. But I always imagine that the the overextended chase would happen directly in the middle of the movie just to kill the action. You know, <laughs> and I yeah, see, absolutely. I see, imagine we cut to Pew and it's that thing in action movies where these stars that were previously very talkative and progressing this story are suddenly very silent and focusing too hard on what they're doing. I'm like, I thought <laughs> yeah. you were a professional pilot. So and he's like, uh, uh. I'm like, come on, Mr. Rogers, say something. Tell us what's happening in your mind. Uh, you know, like, it, I think that that's what's going to be happening with Florence Pugh in that helicopter. Nice and silent, nice and focused. So, um, I mean, I think it's it's pretty clear that that this has got to get the green light. I mean, this movie is a guaranteed return. Honestly, I don't even know if this would even necessarily need to be put in theaters. I feel like we just released a trailer that in and of itself would make back our 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 revenue and then some. I mean, it's 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 a guaranteed hit. You got John Hamm, you got flying trucks, you got Ricky Martin making a comeback. It's got everything the, the, the viewing public wants in an action film. Definitely. And if we work with YouTube Red, I'm pretty sure no one knows how that (laughs) thing works. I don't know if YouTube Red exists anymore. (laughs) We can even put it where it says skip 
where it says skip the trailer or would you like to take a survey let's just replace that with donate five dollars and the people will just slam that button it'll just go out of their paypal yeah. they won't even notice it and Wait. all of a sudden we've made okay. it back Honestly, hang on this is a distribution me. method there's a distribution method here that i never thought possible but what if what if we partner with youtube red and we make this movie an ad, the entire two and a half hour movie. Wow. And we put a little button in that says pay $5 and you don't <laughs> have to watch this movie. movie. Skip and you skip the movie <laughs> and you can watch whatever YouTube video you want. <laughs> That's where we're wow. making our money, ladies and gentlemen. That's brilliant. <laughs> That's it. That's some really future thinking here. <laughs> All right, I'm getting, you, I'm, getting <laughs> I'm getting YouTube Red on the phone. They're invested. They're interested. Um, oh, all right, I want to. Um, Here we are. My God, my now mom that we've just texted got... me. It's like she knew. <laughs> <laughs> now that now that we've got three solid green lights, I want to do something that is actually a first for this show. That I'm, I'm I feel like would actually work here. I want to see if we can create a combined universe okay. that contains all three of these pieces because I think it's possible. I think, I think so. if we have, I think if Annette's movie is the earliest point in our timeline, mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. and then maybe there's even hints at the end of the movie of a big flood coming, mm-hmm. and and the flying car could sort of be an echo of of the talking cars that we get in my Broadway musical. <laughs> I think there's a universe in which all three of these stories could exist all together in a shared Swiffer universe. The Swiffer universe. The Swiffer intellectual universe. Maybe. Absolutely. That's beautiful. Sort of like in the style of a la Michael Bay is what I'm seeing some of the chases in. I think Mm. that we, the best way that he ties his stuff together is like with baby children. So I think maybe Pew gives birth to a child or someone gives birth to a child Mm -hmm. and like, what's his, what's her name? Therese. And then that'll be like the end of the film or like what? Mm. I have to look at my character's name. Like what's his name? Because maybe there's something. Jasper. It's like the, it's like the end of uh, Red Dragon where they're like, there's somebody to see you, Hannibal Lecter. And he's like, who is it? And then cut to credits. We have a similar (laughs) ending with, uh, with, with Annette's film where it's like, oh, Here's the captain of your boat, Mr. Jeff Sweeper, Juan Carlo Esposito. Cut <laughs> the credits. The actor's name. No, it's the actor's name, not the character's name. And then you have to wait to the end of the movie and we get a sneak peek of the Stars TV show coming up afterwards. Yes. Um, yeah, at, it was at, the first the time credits. you have to wait to the end of the film for a sneak peek for a <laughs> television show. After the credits, Maria Menounos comes on and she gives us a sneak peek no. of, uh, of the Stars TV show. Maria Menounos is back with Nuvi and she's here to talk about an upcoming oh Stars TV God. show. Everybody, subscribe to her podcast. <laughs> a walking skip ad Maria Menounos <laughs> this is this is incredible guys we've created a masterpiece here I'm gonna get Procter and Gamble on the line because they're gonna want to invest in this immediately we've got an unskippable YouTube ad we've got a, a overwhelmingly homoerotic uh, stars television show and we've got a Broadway musical that will cost at least three Force Awakens's 
So uh, that's, oh. I mean, that's that's a triumphant if I've ever heard one. We're going to be so rich. Oh, God, we're um, going to be rich. <laughs> as is tradition, I do want to point out uh, any sort of similarities between our three uh, projects, which there is, I mean, other than uh, the obvious hand jobs uh, is, is a recurring theme uh, in all three. But mm-hmm, also mm-hmm. there's, I, I noticed that we all grappled onto the idea of cleaning up a dirty world. Mm. Seems to be like a, a world in some kind of ruins, a dirty world that needs to be cleaned up. Uh, all three featured a physical Swiffer uh, of, of of varying degrees of importance. I suppose John Hamm was the Swiffer of of your project. Yeah, originally uh, it was a metaphorical Swiffer, but now he can also incorporate the physical one to really yes, tie it the, all together. And everyone will sit there and go, oh, now I get sweeper. it. Yeah, we want there I to don't be want no to sound, questions. No. I don't want to sound want derogatory. at all. I don't want to be sort of talked down to the audience of people that would watch an unskippable uh, YouTube Red <laughs> ad. But I do think that they're probably the type of people that need this spelled out a little bit for them. So it's not the time to be subtle. Whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> it's, as they probably That's struggle like the- to read. That's um, like the thing. I, would I say that. my uh, my real audience is just just stoners, <laughs> stoners, and then people that left their computer running with autoplay on. Yeah, they're like, I just like the ambience of the up, rainforest. Like, the Sue me. <laughs> they wake up and it's Francis Pugh struggling to fly a helicopter. Um, I think another unexpected through line for this, and I really, I'm really stoked about this. We took this idea, which I think is annoying, about like queer coded villains and stuff that mm-hmm. Disney does and stuff, where it's like they're gay and being gay is evil, and we just sort of turned it on its head. And it's like, no, these are openly gay villains. These are openly bisexual and polyamorous characters. It's very appropriately fluid and positive and inclusive, and that really excites me. I really like how international the casting is and the narratives are i think that i think we took something that could feel as karen proof as a swiffer and and really opened it up to the world and to the future and and said no this is the future of clean Mm. we want to speak to the manager of dirt the thing that we're (laughs) cleaning up is intolerance yes that's what we're cleaning (laughs) that's the through line that's it that's the through line well, I don't think we're gonna we're gonna peak higher than that, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so I think that this is a perfect place to end off for this week. Special big time thanks to Annette Storkman. Annette, yes. is there anything you'd like to plug or pitch while you're here? Only sketches about podcasts on Spotify, Apple, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. That is my sketch team. We do a show um, about one theme. <laughs> Uh, each episode. So right now we've got out only sketches about Americana and only sketches about clam. And we have our first full season coming in early 2021. I cannot wait for oh, only sketches about Swiffers and only sketches <laughs> oh, about hand jobs. I can't oh, imagine. Can't imagine. I, only sketches um, about YouTube Red. I should give uh, uh, my my teammate James Azaretti a shout out because we have a recurring thing about hand stuff in all of our <laughs> sketches, <laughs> and it was on the brain. <laughs> it, it is it is now infected this it's podcast. Everything. So he's, he's truly an infectious force. As the sole beneficiary of the IP of this show, James, I, you know. I bequeath it to you, my friend. <laughs> James, hand you stuff own is just hand a nice stuff. Thing to do. 
Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for listening, folks. I hope you learned something. Um, I did not. I think I know less than when I started, um, which is an impressive feat because I know very little to start with. Uh, so from all of us here in the adaptation, oh my God, I can't even believe we almost forgot. It is sacred, the most sacred part of the podcast. We have to add another item to the adaptation lounge and that uh, glory falls upon our guest, Annette. Uh, in our blank void of the adaptation lounge, we have and we added piece of furniture or item every episode, a la buy mode in The Sims. So ah, nice. uh, <laughs> thus far, it is a blank void that contains one chair, uh-huh. uh, some kitchen cabinets, a empty bookshelf with nothing on it, a deck of cards, and a piece of the Millennium Puzzle under glass, uh, just sort of decorative. So what would you like to add? It can be related to this episode or it could just be something that you feel we could use. Um, I, I, I leave it in your capable hands. Boy, what do you really need right now in the blank void? We do need another chair, but I can't imagine how we would parlay that in with this. <laughs> hey, we're getting by. That's, we're getting by with the one chair. That's true. You know what? We're going to add in the uh, the sweeper onesie. <laughs> okay, yes. great. The sweeper onesie so, goes right in there. Uh, we can keep this place a, clean. In lieu of another chair, you can just snuggle just, on I and also, sit on the floor. I also would have uh, loved a bathroom because Chris and I are trapped <laughs> yeah, in here. Yeah, we only have kitchen cabinets um, and like a deck of cards and a Millennium Puzzle. We're kind of jonesing for something. The corners yeah, are starting just, to fill up. Yeah, well, but now that now we have the slipper onesie, oh, yeah, yeah, we can clean the floor. You can get so up that's going to personal with it. Well, I have one question. Uh, how do we want to display <laughs> this? Uh, Annette can decide. Should we put it on like a? Uh, uh, should we put it on a mannequin in a glass case toplet, or should we put it down as a bearskin rug? Ooh! <laughs> now you see, at first I was like, oh, put it down as like a nice like throw blanket over the mm. over the chair, you know, give it a little accent. But I think that the bearskin rug is definitely the way to go. Uh, yeah, especially because then we could just slide right into it. Exactly. Easy. It's access. like in the, in this blank void, surely physics don't exist, and you could just dive right in. Yeah, phys- physics come and go. Uh, it's kind of hard to determine. Uh, there's not a whole lot of rules here. I think that's been made very clear. Very clear. Um, <laughs> well, great. Thank you so much for adding that. Uh, we're gonna get started cleaning. We're gonna have to figure out a chore wheel now, so that'll be a fun task for Chris oh. and I to figure out. Uh, but thank you Sexy. so much for joining us, Annette. And uh, thank you, as always, to my co-host, Chris, for uh, just enlivening up my life with the, the bright joy that he brings into it. And thank you, listeners, for indulging in about an hour and a half of hand job talk. So thank you for that. <laughs> and tune in next time where we'll, it's, there almost will certainly be even more hand stuff. This has been the Adaptation Game. Thank you for listening and go with either God or whatever thing that you choose to go with. Sentient cars, flying trucks, whatever it may be. Just go with it. Goodbye.